did you know if you're one in a million in China there are 1,300 people just like you China will soon become the number one English-speaking country in the world. 25% of India's population with the highest IQ is greater than the total population of the United States. India has more honors kids than America has kids. Did you know? The top 10 in-demand jobs in 2010 did not exist in 2004. We are currently preparing students for jobs that don't yet exist, using technologies that haven't been invented, in order to solve problems we don't even know are problems yet. The U.S. Department of Labor estimates that today's learner will have 10 to 14 jobs by the age of 38. One in four workers has been with their current employer for less than a year. One in two has been there less than five years. Did you know? One out of eight couples married in the U.S. last year met online. There are over 200 million registered users on MySpace. If MySpace were a country, it would be the fifth largest in the world between Indonesia and Brazil. The number one ranked country in the broadband internet penetration is Bermuda, 19 is the United States, 22 is Japan. Did you know? We're living in exponential times. There are 31 billion searches on Google every month. In 2006, this number was 2.7 billion. To whom were these questions addressed before Google? The first commercial text message was sent in December of 1992. Today, the number of text messages sent and received every day exceeds the total population of the planet. Years it took to reach a market audience of 50 million. Radio, 38 years. TV, 13 years. Internet, 4 years. iPod, 3 years. Years it took to reach a market audience of 40 million Two years for Facebook, the number of internet devices in 1984, the number of internet devices in 1992 was 1 million, in 2008, 1 billion. There are about 540,000 words in the English language. About five times as many as during Shakespeare's time. It is estimated that a week's worth of the New York Times contains more information than a person was likely to come across in a lifetime in the 18th century. It's estimated that four exabytes of unique information will be generated this year. That is more than the previous 5,000 years. The amount of new technical information is doubling every two years. For students starting a four-year technical degree, this means that Half of what they learn in their first year of study will be outdated by their third year of study. NTT Japan has sexually tested fiber optic cable that pushes 14 trillion bits per second down a single strand of fiber. 2,660 CDs or 210 million phone calls every second, currently tripling every six months and expected to do so for the next 20 years. 
By 2013, a supercomputer will be built that exceeds the computation capabilities of the human brain. Predictions are that by 2049, a $1,000 computer will exceed the computational capabilities of the entire human species. Did you know? During the course of this presentation, 67 babies were born in the United States. 274 babies were born in China. 395 babies were born in India. And 694,000 songs were downloaded illegally. So what does it all mean? What does it all mean? That's a good question. Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It appears that one can like know everything and not know what anything means. Perhaps you could even know all of the Bible and not have a clue as to what any of it means. Maybe you could know all about God and not know what he means. You know, Satan knows all about God, doesn't he? But he doesn't know God. He doesn't have a clue as to what he means. So why are you so desperate to know things? Why'd you come to church tonight? To know something? Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. This seems awfully loud. Does it seem loud to you? Can you turn it down a little, little bit? Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist, or probably more accurately, a spring, was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Like Psalm 46, 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High, habitation of the Most High. Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man, Adam of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This is a picture of the foundation stone. See that stone right there? In the dome of the rock mosque, that's on the temple mount where the temple stood. Jews and Muslims believe that this is where God made Adam. One of the doors of the mosque is labeled the gate of the Garden of Eden, for they believe Eden was on the Temple Mount. And so this is a picture of Peter and Susan east of Eden. <laughs> Actually, uh, Ezekiel compares Eden to the Mount of the Lord, which is the Temple Mount. Whatever the case, this is where Abraham um, sacrificed or went to sacrifice Isaac, his son. 
And very close to here is where God did sacrifice Jesus, his son. Jesus was crucified naked on a tree in a garden. And there he turned to a thief next to him and said, Today you will be with me in paradise, the garden of delight. In the Revelation, the New Jerusalem itself is a garden containing the tree of life and the river of life. Jerusalem, uh, if you know your geography a little bit, uh, you'll know, is in the eastern part of the promised land, Israel. Next verse. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, the eastern part. And there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground, the Adamah, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst, the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because that sentence is rather awkward, and because in the next chapter we read that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the one in the center of the garden, some have suggested that in the original uh, story there was just one tree. Some other biblical texts seem to suggest the same thing. In Proverbs, Solomon writes that wisdom is a tree of life. Knowledge and wisdom are almost synonymous in the Proverbs. In the Revelation, in the New Jerusalem, there's one tree straddling one river. It's the tree of life. Well, no matter what, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge are related in some amazing, freaky way. Something's going on here. And, oh yeah, this is hugely important. In Hebrew and in Greek, there is one word, eights in Hebrew, skulon in Greek, that refers to both cross and tree, one word. Scripture says Jesus was crucified on a tree, one wonderful, tragic, mysterious tree. Next verse. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there's gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river, the Euphrates. The picture here is these uh, four rivers coming from one amazing source or spring. Two of the rivers are the Tigris and the Euphrates. Everybody kind of knows where they are. A third river is the Gihon. Now, the Gihon was the main spring in the city of Jerusalem, yet here it's a river, and it flows around the entire land of Cush. In Scripture, Cush is uh, Egypt and Sudan and Ethiopia, so most people think that this is the Nile, and that's really significant. For in Genesis chapter 15, these same rivers mark the boundary of the land promised to Abraham by God, in which case Eden would have the same boundary as the promised land. Now, it's hard to picture all of these rivers coming from one source 
But whether or not you believe in a geographical Eden, I certainly hope that you believe in an Eden who's more real or is more real than anything in this world and a river whose streams make glad the city of God and indeed bring life to an entire new creation. Well, the fourth river is the Pishon. And nobody seems to know where it is or what it is, but it flows through a land where there is gold and delium and onyx. Commentators point out that all of these things refer to things in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, which became the temple on the temple mount that we looked at. Next verse, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Some think that's betterly translated worship and obey. And many point out that in the Hebrew, Adam's job description in the garden is basically the job description of a priest in the tabernacle. And the Lord God commanded the Adam, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What did he what day did he say that? The sixth day, right? The sixth day of creation. It's still the sixth day of creation. We're still being made in God's image. And the day you eat of it, you will surely die. We all must die before we reach the seventh day. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so he makes Eve from Adam's bleeding side. Kind of like he makes us from Jesus' bleeding side as he hangs on a tree in a garden in ancient Eden. You see, this story is about so much more than just two naked people and some weird magic trees. You get that? Jesus Christ is called the ultimate Adam, the eschatos Adam, the eschatos man, and we are his bride. Now, remember that as you read what happens next, okay, women, if you get tweaked at the, you know, anyway, in the deepest way, we are all the women, the woman, okay, the bride of Christ. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, it's really interesting that according to Scripture, that didn't just happen a long time ago. It did, and and yet it keeps happening in each of us. In Romans, Paul writes this, listen, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, now, what is a commandment? Isn't it kind of like the knowledge of good and evil? When the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. In Deuteronomy 139, Moses tells the Israelites that uh, the, the ones who will enter the promised land, the ones who will enter are their little ones, quote, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, like they have not yet taken the fruit of the tree, and so they can enter. And maybe that has something to do with Jesus saying, truly, truly, unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Well, as you know, Adam and Eve eat the fruit. And they know. What do they know? That they're naked and bad. So they hide from each other and from God. God curses the snake. God curses the ground, the Adamah. And then God sacrifices an animal like a lamb to cover their nakedness cover their knowledge of nakedness, cover their naked knowledge, cover it with a sacrifice of blood. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Remember when the Israelites entered the promised land from the east? What did they encounter? The angel of God, Yahweh, with a drawn sword, remember? Do you remember how David knew where to build the temple in 1 Chronicles 21? We preached on that. He saw the angel of Yahweh with a drawn sword held over Jerusalem and the temple mount. Remember what God had the Israelites build over the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle and in the stone temple? Cherubim. Those terrifying, immense winged creatures. You know, they look nothing like flying babies, okay? Immense creatures with these giant wings, cherubim. In Scripture, they're really only found in three places. One, they guard the way to the paradise of Eden. Two, they surround 
God and his throne. And three, they stand sentinel over the Ark of the Covenant, God's throne on earth. Inside the Ark was the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, that's knowledge of good and evil. And on top of the Ark was a covering called the Mercy Seat on which the high priest would sprinkle sacrificial blood. That that blood is life. Without it, the priest would die. For apart from the blood, the way is barred. So get the picture. Behind the veil, in the Holy of Holies, in the inner sanctuary, stood the awesome cherubim guarding the way to knowledge of good and evil, and life. Exodus 25, God says to Moses, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony. Communion with God is the essence of paradise. Yeah, we've been exiled, exiled from paradise. For we stole fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now we know a lot. But what does it mean? The knowledge of good and evil. What does that mean? Well, at first, it does sound like law, doesn't it? And we'll talk about that more next week. It must mean at least law and and maybe more. Scholars say that that phrase is a Hebrew merism. That means the knowledge of good and evil is like saying the knowledge of A to Z. It's a way of saying the knowledge of everything. So Eve just wanted to know (laughs) stuff. And that's a little bit shocking and scary, isn't it? A little disconcerting because that means that maybe you and I have committed the very same sin. She just wanted to know stuff. It appears to be profoundly subtle, and and it's not what we'd expect, is it? I I mean, if we're really talking temptation and original sin and the fall of humanity, we might expect, you know, the tree of witchcraft. Stay away from the tree of witchcraft, right? Or stay away from the tree of murder or, or the tree of vodka and dirty magazines. Stay away from that tree. Tree of Harry Potter books and liberal Democrats, you know, something really bad. But the tree of knowledge, I mean, knowledge is a good thing, isn't it? Is it a good thing? Maybe we need to eat some fruit to find out. Good, evil, I mean, that's confusing. And check this out. Check this out. This is really freaky. God said, right, chapter 1, let us make man in our own image and likeness, right? Right? He said that, right? Class? Yeah. 
And now, after Adam and Eve eat the fruit, he says, behold, check it out, the man has become like us, knowing good and evil. Isn't that what he wanted? And then he says, so let's kick him out. How weird is that? And how could knowledge be bad? Proverbs says that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. That's what it says. Fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. And Adam and Eve sure do begin to fear God. Proverbs also says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You see, knowledge is close to synonymous with wisdom. And wisdom in the book of Proverbs is like a person. Proverbs 8. Listen. I wisdom, this is what it says, I wisdom find knowledge. My fruit is better than gold. The Lord fathered me at the beginning of his work when he marked out the foundation of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman. Proverbs 3.18. By wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. If, we, if you were speaking Greek, you might say it this way. By logos, the Lord founded the earth. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. His name is Jesus. Is Jesus bad? No! <laughs> Is knowledge bad? No, I don't think so. Is wisdom bad? Is logos, logic? Is logic bad? Is truth bad? Is Jesus bad? No! <laughs> no! Well, if the tree isn't bad and the fruit isn't bad, whatever is bad must have to do with the way that this knowledge is acquired. It's like Aslan says to the children in Narnia, listen to this, the fruit always works. It must work. But it does not work happily for those who pluck it at their own will. You realize that there are different ways of knowing, just like there are different things to be known. You can A, take knowledge, or B, receive knowledge. That's called revelation, literally unveiling. You can A, take knowledge, or B, receive knowledge. You can A, comprehend a thing, or B, be comprehended by a thing. You can A, cut a thing up in little pieces, or B, you can surrender to it and like dance with it. When I was a kid, I knew frogs because I'd catch them up in the mountains by the cabin and play with them. I was just amazed at at frogs. I, I love frogs. And if someone says, what does a frog mean to you? I'd have said, frogs are just cool. <laughs> and whoever made them is cool. I love frogs. When I became a man, I knew frogs as well. Because I'd cut them to pieces in biology, dissected them, analyzed the parts, 
If someone said, what does a frog mean to you? I might say, it means an A on the test. (laughs) But the frog itself, it means nothing. It's dead. You can A, take knowledge, or B, receive knowledge. If a man walks up to a woman and says, I'm going to know you. I'm going to know every inch of you, everything about you. I'm taking that knowledge. Well, she'd be terrified. Call the police. But if she said, hey, um, I'd kind of like to just tell you a little bit about myself. Well, it might be the very same knowledge but with an entirely different meaning. It might be life instead of death. In Scripture, that word know refers to knowing things like a law and also knowing persons in such a way that they might even get pregnant. There's one way to know a thing, and another way to know a person. And if you know a person in the way that you know a thing, it's like turning a person into a thing, into body broken and bloodshed. It's called murder and perhaps rape. And then you may know them, but no longer grasp their meaning. I mean, you may know them, but, but not really. You may know all about them and yet be banished from communion with them in the garden of their soul. So anyway, you can obtain knowledge by A, taking it by force, or B, receiving it as a gift called grace. A is rape. B is making love, the sacrament of the covenant. A is murder and cannibalism, taking the body and the blood of the living, you know, like zombies and vampires take flesh and drink blood. B is communion. (laughs) My body given to you says Jesus. My blood shed for you. A is damnation and death. B is salvation and life. When you come to the table of the Lord, are you taking or receiving? It's like like a judgment. Here's another way to ask the same thing. How did you come to know the Lord? How do you answer that? A, well, I felt I was missing something. So I examined the evidence, I dissected the arguments, and I figured it out, and I chose Jesus. Or B, I was lost, and he found me. I was blind, and he gave me sight. I was dead, and he brought me to life. 
I know him because he chose to know me. How do you know the Lord? By works or by grace? There are different ways of knowing and different things to be known. We know things less than ourselves by taking them apart and examining the pieces. That's often called science. We know things greater than ourselves through wonder and worship. We know things less than ourselves by comprehending them. We know things greater than ourselves by allowing ourselves to be comprehended by them. You know, a little child's world is naturally full of wonder because everything seems bigger than them and they don't comprehend much. Like Chesterton said, Alice must grow small to enter Wonderland. Like Jesus said, you must become like a child to enter the kingdom. You know, when my kids were toddlers, everything was wonderful and alive. And they knew me. Now get this, they hardly knew anything about me. Hardly knew anything about me, yet they knew me better than the CIA, better than my doctors, better than the greatest minds of the 20th century. They knew me. They knew what I meant. They knew what I was about. They knew me. Well, a child's world is full of wonder and also very little control. And that's frightening, frightening to be out of control. But knowledge is power, and knowledge is control, and so in fear we soon learn to take knowledge as a weapon, that is, we grow up. With knowledge, you know, we can make bigger things seem small, right? We can turn persons into objects, carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen. We can explain them until we explain them away and seize control. Explain, 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 explain it all away until we're safe. And alone in the darkness of our own little world where we know everything and yet haven't a clue as to what any of it means. Well, imagine if someone really, really good and really, really big, bigger than our world, from beyond our world, imagine if they wanted to know us. Well, that extraterrestrial life form would have to become small and common and unthreatening like a baby in a manger. And if he ever got big or confusing, we'd probably be so terrified that we'd cut him down to size. You know, body broken, blood shed, we'd dissect him and consume him in an effort to comprehend him. And yet, what was hidden from the wise and understanding might be revealed to the babes, the children, and he would want it that way, for children have a different way of knowing, and he is something very different, just waiting to be known. Kind of like, like this. You, you know the, 
the first Adam was the terrestrial man, right? He was Adam from the Adamah, the ground. This movie that I'm about to show you is of the extraterrestrial man, E.T. E.T. befriends a boy named Elliot and hangs out with Elliot in his room. But when the scientists find E.T. in fear and a lust for knowledge, they want to cut E.T. to pieces. They have a different way of knowing. But only one of them knows what it all means. Sleep at night. I don't know. What's the matter smaller. with Elliot? You noticed any surface sweating? No. Has it lost any hair? He never had any hair. Are the children all right? Did it ever yes. build anything or write anything down? Uh, no. Would you say it, it has the ability to manipulate its own environment? He's smart. He communicates through Elliot. What does all this mean? Elliot thinks it's thoughts. No, Elliot... Elliot feels his feelings. They're going to have to take him away now. We're just going to cut him all up. Would you just like to spend some time alone with him? Could uh, we all step out for a minute, please? Maybe that's 
what it all means. Love. Maybe the extraterrestrial man means love. The story is being told all around us. Next, Eliot closes E.T.'s tomb, and suddenly E.T.'s heart light begins to shine. E.T. rises from the dead, leaves this world, but tells Eliot he'll always be right here with him. You know, Scripture calls Jesus the extraterrestrial Adam. Did you know that? That's how Paul puts it, uh, but he says it this way, the Arenos, the, the heavenly man, the man of heaven, the eschatos Adam. When he came to this earth, children and sinners loved him. The religious establishment and the powers that be were terrified and jealous. In fear and a lust to comprehend and control him, they nailed him to the tree of law in a garden at Jerusalem. On the tree he cried out, My God, my God, why? Why? You see, he didn't know. And yet he trusted. He trusted his father more than his knowledge. Even from the pit of hell. He is the perfect Adam. And he is the heart and light of the father. As he gave his life, the veil in the temple ripped from the top to the bottom. The sanctuary was unveiled, opened. You see, he is the way between the cherubim. He is the high priest who enters the Holy of Holies and offers himself. With our sin, we take his body and we take his blood like forbidden fruit from a terrible tree. And then we know he's good and we're evil. We take it and yet he gives it. He even said that no one takes it from me. I give it, John 10, 8. He forgives it. He gives us his body and blood saying, take and eat. You see, his wonderful, tragic, mysterious tree bears fruit, knowledge of good and evil, and life. The commandment covered in mercy, the testimony of Jesus. Here we die, and here we live. Here we're perfected in the image of God, and this is the plan for the fullness of time. At all things in him, making peace by the blood of his tree. And so, what does it all mean? Yes. It means love. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the meaning of all things. And on that night, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. 
And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. So, you can know all about God and not have a clue as to what he means. Satan knows all about God. Yeah, he doesn't know God. And he hasn't a clue as to what he means. You can know all about God by taking, but you can only know God by grace, through faith. And this is what he means. Love. And this is love that he gave. And so we invite you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. Dark cups are, are wine, the light cups are juice. They're both fruit of his wonderful, tragic, mysterious tree. Come to the table and live. Right here. <laughs> you see, you know him, not just about him. You know him, and his spirit in you will teach you the meaning of all things. All things mean this, and he is love. So if it doesn't mean love, it means nothing. Throw it in the void, back into chaos with Satan. For he is an intelligence exclusively empowered by nothing, by fear and malice. Jesus is an intelligence exclusively empowered by love. And you are being made in his image, the image of love. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel because it's what everything means. Amen.